namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddham dhammam sangham sami Buddhist uh, practice, a lot is made out of of letting go. So this is what somebody asks you, what do Buddhists believe in? <laughs> what, what, is, what is the Buddhist God? Buddhist God is called letting go. <laughs> is uh, the ruler of the rule of the cosmos. The uh, Dissolver of the world. Other religions are creators of the world, but I think in Buddhism you kind of recognise that whoever created the world obviously had a few problems, <laughs> and maybe the real, really savvy one is the one who dissolves it all. <laughs> Because it sounds so nihilistic until you get a feeling for letting go um, as as not not the not some kind of void or nihilism or or a statement of hatred or despair about everything, but a feeling of ease and relaxation and non-forming and non non-proliferating kind of um, sense of being present. Without making lots of make, making anything out of it, you can see how difficult that is to do, because <clears throat> one's system just keeps trying to make something happen or not happen, or think of something or remember something or feel something or stop feeling something or find something or develop something or yeah, sort something or do something or try to stop doing something or. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lively thing, um, and so actually, you know, letting go is is almost like a unfolding of these tangled energies, which are so localized and and like fireworks. It's kind of untangling them from their rather compacted and and confused states to something that just feels smooth and open. Mm. So if you can imagine energy that's all frazzled and uh, going off in different directions, and then somehow that could all just resolve itself, mm. find this free flow, instead of rather like a stream that was churning in vortexes and turbulence and leaping, and it was suddenly... It emptied into a vast lake, which was alive and vibrant, but didn't have this, these all these uh, turbulence in it. And the Buddha said, "A wise person is like a 
a vast lake, a lake of listening. So this is the kind of way one should reflect on on the whole process of letting go. It's not to annihilate something, but it's to release particular activities that are conducive to stress, agitation, um, dejection, craving, mm, to release those. And, and it's actually very positive because when you practice you begin to recognize all these things that seem so obstructive, not really dead ends in themselves. They just need to be handled in the right way, then they'll come out. They'll, it's rather like when these energies and um, systems get twisted up or confused, they get into very negative or frustrated patterns. And if we could somehow release those, rather than uh, then they, they come, everything comes into true. So it's rather than taking knife and cutting things up and chopping things off yourself, the idea is to want to undo the knots so the thing comes into fullness. And this undoing is the is a sense of that is letting go and all the skills that go what was required to do that. Sometimes it's it's quite it's pushing, sometimes it's holding, sometimes it's flexing, sometimes it's just sitting back and relaxing. Everything is attuned to to that particular aim, and we get faith in that. You, you just remember what you're trying to do. Let go of suffering, stress, and I think where this becomes most uh, obvious is when you dealing with the most obvious afflictions that we experience, such as you know, negativity or um, frustration, confusion. And you see these are, uh, you contemplate them and see they're bound up with things like ill will, malice towards oneself or others, or feeling of inadequacy and wanting, ambition, or feeling of wanting particular things, craving for objects of some kind. Or there's restlessness, worry and flurry. His mind never sits still, agitated. Or dullness, when it seems so unwilling and lethargic. And uh, doubt, when we feel so profoundly lost, we don't know what to do with ourselves. So these are often these in their subtle forms and their gross forms. Are the almost the you know the, the testimonial to the need for the practice. We all have these these experiences, latent tendencies. They get triggered off by events, so we can blame the events. Uh, I didn't get enough sleep last night, or there's a lot to do today. But somehow, you know, you begin to recognise over a period of time how these events really trigger off what is already a potency there. There's a latent tendency there and it just flares up. It's touched off by certain things. This becomes more apparent when you sit still and meditate and you find that yourself feeling really angry over a tiny little thing. A lot of ill will over, you know, somebody making a noise or or you feel craving over something that happened ten years ago, you know, isn't there anymore and you still work up a lot of 
craving and, and lust for it. You know, or you, so and there's nothing much to do. Say, you know, when you have meditation treat, there's not really a lot to do per se. And yet your mind can keep remembering things you've got to do, <laughs> should have done, wish you had have done. It would be a good idea to do. You know, you haven't done, it would be a good idea to do. And you realize you're never going to do. And yet your mind can still keep busy popping away on, on, you know, I don't know, doing not weaving Fiji or something as a possibility for the future. <laughs> you know, you know, so where we are isn't enough, and it's, it's kind of unable to settle. And it often takes the more reasonable forms than that. We can think of a better place to be, better place to go. You know, if only, and so forth. This is kind of restless qualities. So, the you know, when we the first the first sense of letting go is when you, you actually wait a minute, you prick your ears up at this stuff and you start to think, no, hang on, this is a bit out of over the top. You know, uh, what what you know, you you, you begin to uh, develop some disbelief around the topics, partly because in, in meditation they, they flare up and they can linger so long over things that manifestly are really not worth bothering with. So you get a sense of, of stepping back from it. But you also begin to recognise that just uh, feeling fed up with it all isn't going to solve it. Or, um, you know, Running out of the meditation hall isn't going to solve it. Yeah. Or just, just trying to pull yourself together <laughs> isn't going to, doesn't quite solve it. Yeah. So that the kind of skills that are required really are things that bring around release rather than taking a position. You see, so our tendency is not to release, but in fact to take some kind of position either. Well, let's get out of here. And then you kind of shift, leave, leave the territory as it were, you shift. So you take a particular stand. Or you, uh, one, um, you know, gets angry with oneself. So you adopt a certain position. And none, none of these things work because they don't actually handle the hindrance. It's only letting go that handles the hindrance. And the first thing you're letting go is letting go of of the belief in it. Then it's the letting go of the reactions to it. You know, the, the uh, fondness for fantasies. You know, or the sense of resignation. Everyone starts to even either react with fondness to things or aversion to things, or just giving, oh, well, I'm stuck with it, it's the way I am. And these, these are all reactions. They, they don't have the handling quality of uh, letting go. Is letting go of reactions. And you come into a sense of, of there's no hurry, um, there's no, um, no hurry about this, it's spacious, um, but just to pick it up and feel it, handle it. You know, ill will feels like this. What does it do? What's it about? And that's detachment. 
That's letting go that's called detachment. When you're actually letting go of the topic, coming to the very form itself, the bristling or the or the um, whatever is happening. And that kind of letting go of detachment gives you a greater sense of clarity and perspective on it. And that's the first degree of letting go. And when you do that, even though you, you, the thing is still maybe still there, there's a strange sense of it doesn't seem so hasn't got the heat in it anymore. You feel a, a different tone. There's a tonal shift. Before one was so moved and bundled along in that particular problem or habit, so overwhelmed by it, so in the river, so churned. And now you're kind of more like standing on the bank. There it is. Ooh. And that, even that just coming out of the stream of it, there's a degree of letting go. And and you begin to recognize, well, the sense of that feels agreeable. Letting go is agreeable. It has clarity in it. Uh, and it's not just an uh, intellectual approval, but it's a feeling of some steadiness there. And then you can tune into that that steadiness. Mm, what's it like to be, you know, have no hurry in 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 fixing things? What's it like to have all the time in the world to be with this? What's it like to actually reverse the habit of uh, trying to suppress or blame or run away or whatever and just feel out the different senses you know the the the, the movements of these forms the effect they have on your body with dullness how your body seems to change shape in dullness you either become all head like just the big blob of head with no body underneath it lolling around or a, uh, a body with no head on it, <laughs> or the skin doesn't seem to fit anymore, your skin starts falling off and flopping around, or it tightens up, you become like a prune. This is a strange thing to be happening. Your body goes all weird with dullness. You know, how tight it can get, tense it can get with grudges and ill will and defensiveness. So sometimes ill will is just not direct um, hatred or malice but it's a kind of defended prickliness or grumpiness tightness and you feel wow the chest suddenly feels very narrow and hard and so when you examine things like that then you've got some ways of of you know, what would it be like to to just relax there to release there what would it be like to to just lift a little bit here you know, allow, allow energy to move here. So letting go is a kind of skillful handling. And you get the, from letting go of the, the reactions, you get the second kind of letting go, which is a sense of of dispassion. Because you know, you're, you're, you're not so bothered by it, you're freer to work with it. This is very powerful movement, actually, because 
particularly when we sit and meditate, you, most of us don't want to, have, want to get over these things. We want to get to the good bits. I want to get to the, you know, emptiness or absorption or radiance or something or the other. I don't want to get stuck in some grumpy mood. But you have to let go of these notions of enlightenment and awakening and actually, you know, come into the pragmatism of it. This is what it, this is what's on the recipe, so on the menu today is this one. So, <laughs> you know, so you get lighter about this, the, the sense of some self-importance one can have over being a serious committed meditator and, you know, should trump up some samadhi one day or something like that or, you know, no. Like you're dealing with restlessness <laughs> again. <laughs> and so that's sort of let, letting go in that sense. You're just coming back to, you know, the ideas of what one should be or could be or ought to be or wish one was, and it's this now. And that's a kind of a relief, really. And with all these things, you begin to sense a particular tone that you come back to, which is grounded. It's not reaching out, it's not pushing back, it's not bowed down, it's grounded, it's it's upright, uh, it's clear, it's not uh, pretentious, it's not um, resigned or gloomy, it's just clear. And it's, there's empathy to it. You can actually, you're more interested in feeling it, empathising with it. There's a sense of, you know, what becomes more apparent is the, is the sense of of healing and caring for yourself. And really the hindrances are a testing ground for that because if you take these these difficulties as yours, then you always end up feeling you are a disease or a blight on the planet, you know. But in certainly one feels quite grateful to the Buddha for being so specifying these and saying everybody has these. So it's no longer some kind of personal neurosis, but um, more or less par for the course. And the only way to do really is to wise up to them. And they represent ways in which our mind is blinkered and and, uh, constricted. And if we learn how to handle these properly, you get more than just removal of one thing it's not just surgery one's looking at but actually the unfolding of these energies gives you a richer sense of being so rather rather than just throwing weight off your back it's actually transforming that weight into a, a kind of something that supports you because as you do recognize you, these hindrances have got an enormous amount of power to them and energy to them they don't they work you know, 24 hours a day, you can always rely on a hindrance. <laughs> uh, they never give up, you know, they're, they're reliable, they're loyal. <laughs> and they've got a lot of, of, of energy going in them. So, you know, if you could actually harness those or turn those around, then all that, all that uh, potency is there. This is what letting go accomplishes, transmutes these things. But they only get that if you really 
learn how to handle them. You can see that these are often, they seem to be dependent upon something we come into contact with. You know, something triggers something of a sight or a sound. So you're aware of contact, and you get more careful about contact. Some of them are just because um, one's intention has gone askew. You know, instead of intention for liberation, that may be there at 9 o'clock in the morning, but at 10 o'clock in the morning, the intention is somewhere else. It's, um, you, you know, you got a bit bored with that one, or slipped and looking for something a little more fruity or tasty, you know. So sometimes the intention seems to, to dwindle or shift. Mm. And then often it's that one just doesn't have the skill to handle uh, the body or the mind, to sit still, to stand, to, to um, handle what's going on. So all these are, are part and parcel of, of how the hindrances take over. And as you develop meditation, you begin to be more careful about contact you don't rush into contact you don't pick up whatever's seen and heard you can stand back from it the sense of restraint is quite a big part of of what we do um, not from some puritanical thing but just for our own welfare because if you rush into sense contact then you know it's like we lose that sense of of space around sight, sound, touch, taste, and so forth. And, we, you know, one begins to develop a habit, which is expecting some, some um, gratification from sense contact. But it, it can't do that. It can give you a, a rush. But if you, if you notice, it doesn't... You, know, you get a rush of satisfaction, but it soon ebbs away. And one has to get the next thing going. But underlying all of it, really, is this mistaken form of, of identity that uh, hangs around. Identification is is a holding of you know, one is a holding on to something as be- belonging. You know, one's body, feeling, mood of some kind is mine or affecting me. Either I am the body or it's something that's affecting me. And it's because of this that uh, there's a there's a rushing into contact or holding on to things or. A, a, looking for something that's the good one, you know. So this sense of grasping is to find what's the most satisfying or pleasant or agreeable or stable in any given moment. And around what's most agreeable or stable or satisfying at any given moment, then that's where I pitch my tent, as it were. That's what I want to be. That's what I have. But 
the big part is, of course, nothing is that stable. <laughs> Things keep shifting and changing, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, external scenarios keep shifting. But even when you meditate, even the internal scenarios keep shifting. The body becomes uncomfortable. The mind does this and that and the other. The moods, thoughts come and go. The moods come and go, which is, which is the one that, you know, we're going to have. And really, just without any particular ideological take on it, what happens is the only stable thing that you can you tend to centre on eventually is just the sense of awareness, witnessing, witnessing things change. And that's more or less what, what you tend to come back to because that's that's the only thing that you can really recognise as as lasting. And you can't make much of a person out of that, witnessing things change, because everything that you think you are, you know, once you think you are it, <laughs> you know, then then that, whatever you thought you were, changes, you know. So you, you kind of, it's just an eye, it's just a thought, isn't it? particular moment you can think you're brilliant, think you're stupid, and that gives you a mood of some kind that comes and goes, lasts for a day or half a day or an hour or a month or a week or a moment. Um, and it's only the kind of the interactions between various um, thoughts and moods and, and activities that, that keeps things seemingly permanent. So if you think a thought and there's no particular mood associated with it, the thought just passes like you think, Aardvark or something like that doesn't bother me, really. but unless we might do, you know. Or you, what did he say Aardvark for? Aardvark. Why did he say Aardvark? What's Aardvark? Where's an Aardvark anyway? It could could stay in your mind for the rest of the month. It's just the mood of confusion. But if we said something like, um, you know, not more personal, some personal statement about one, me or you, that that would probably create a big mood. You know, if I said something about any individual here or generic thing about women or men or nuns or monks or Italians or something. You know, <laughs> Then you get quite a long, quite a long mood, quite a strong mood. But it's only that the mood is the thing that, that, you know, the perception and the mood effect is the thing that gives the thing a lasting. Because um, the thought itself doesn't doesn't only a flicker, isn't it? But it's the the perception and the mood that that seems to last has a longer duration. And even within that, you can see that the mood doesn't last unless something keeps going back to it. One's got over one's first wave of indignation about the thing he said about, you know, Italians or whatever, and then you've forgotten it, and you bring it back again, so it brings it back in another thing. He's never even been to Italy, how dare he, you know, so that you think it again and it stirs it all up again, and then it sort of ebbs, and another thing, you know, typical English arrogance, you know. So you know, so the thing has to you have to keep winding it up to keep it going. But at that particular moment, you know, that that mood, one very much feels one is, one identifies with being 
in that position. One's energies around, around that, uh, and so on. And yet it's all just, just a, a cloud, isn't it? A cloud of momentum. Yet yeah, these are things that keep us going. We go from one cloud to the next cloud, to the next thought, the next mood, the next sensation. Yeah. Or something seems to. Uh, and what the, the characteristic of that something that seems to is it's not satisfied. It's not rested, it's not complete, it's not fulfilled. It's, it's this very quality of, of a suffering activity is the thing that keeps going. <laughs> so that's our true identity. <laughs> An unsatisfied activity. <laughs> it comes, you know... The identity experience is like that. So you think, well, what can I do to have a, um, a fulfilled identity? So then the start search starts, doesn't it? And we can look around this and that, maybe a spiritual quest for the sense of the fulfilled identity. And then we, you know, maybe have the sense of, you know, whatever we find in the spiritual practices that give us a sense of being a fulfilled identity. You know, maybe one's morally pure or great heart of loving kindness or deep absorptions or profoundly wise. But you, in these things definitely can happen for people. You can have these you know, lovely experiences but you do begin to recognise that when you, if you take them as you identify them as yourself, they start to develop something else like conceit or um, blindness of one kind or another. And it is often the case that you can't actually fulfil them. You know, trying to be the supreme radiance 24 hours a day is, is a bit of a uphill struggle <laughs> you know a couple of minutes maybe you're good at it, it could be for an hour or so but keeping it, even the Buddha said seven days was all he could manage in, in supreme bliss you know? that's, I mean that's a lot better than I can do I'd be very pleased if I could manage seven hours of supreme bliss seven minutes even would be nice <laughs> So, but he didn't. He didn't say this isn't really the, the supreme attainment anyway. The attainment of a, a Buddha is that he knows these things arise and pass, and is not is not attached to them. So he doesn't seem to need to be anything. So there's no conceit, and there's no striving. And there's no sense of regret at losing something. There's no uh, feeling of, of restlessness to make something happen. There's not the ill will because somebody stopped me having it or ruined my opportunity or whatever. So you can recognize that, that in un- trying to undo some of these obvious difficulties of these 
hindrances and afflictions, we have to begin to examine what we identify with, because whatever we identify with will be a basis for some kind of holding on, and holding on is the basis for, you know, disappointment and craving and conceit and agitation and restlessness. It's a, you know, holding on is like that. So it's really identification is the super, letting go of identification is the supreme development. It's rather like, you know, you, you begin to learn this and attune to it because you recognize when you let go of, of a, a hindrance, you know, the feeling, even standing back from it, there's a quiet feeling of this feels good. You don't know what you are, but that, that tone feels good. And when you contemplate feelings, happy feelings, sad feelings, thoughts come, moves and so forth, the dispassion to, to allow that to happen is not a, it's not a particular feeling, it's not a particular mood, and yet, yet somehow it feels good. It feels spacious and clear and open. It feels good, it feels right, it feels true. You feel steady, you feel balanced, you feel clean, able to to attune to the present moment because you're not preoccupied in having some mood or you know dwelling in it or seeing things through those particular tints. So his mind is very accessible. Hmm. So our main practice is always trying to recognize what we identify with and and questioning those things. The particular feeling, perceptions are very strong for us. I was down in the sewage works with Venerable Tita Dummo the other day, contemplating the sewage. So most people's perception of sewage is um, not a, a desirable or attractive or even very interesting um, perception. Sewage is kind of awkward, embarrassing, rather repulsive. And all teeter dummers down there, like a happy as a sandboy, reveling in it, <laughs> inventing all kinds of interesting ways to channel it and put in sumps and filter it and inspect it and sieve it and, and so forth. And he was like a vintner, like a, he was showing his kind of vintage sewage, like a, like someone showing off his wine and dipping it in a little dipper and he was dipping it into different kinds of sewage and demonstrating, you know, the contents and the qualities of it when it gets really old and when it's, you know, this is Grand Cru vintage. <laughs> and this is just the, you know, plonk, as it were. <laughs> and I was quite taken with that because I must admit, I had a little bit of a challenge actually really wanting to be that involved with it. Something we, I, you know, the perception of sewage is a rather unattractive, unpleasant thing. And yet you could actually just see, well, there it is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, neither, it's not anything really, it's just that. And I expect for the the roses, when you, you dig some of the old stuff out and put it in the roses, they think it's absolutely fabulous. Roses really like it. So what is it? Mm. Apart from, it's something, but apart from their particular biased perceptions about it, what is it? This is called emptiness. It means it really, it's something, but you can't, whatever you say about it isn't, it's just one angle, just one take on it. Even to say it's solid or liquid because it changes. So, in fact, there's really nothing that can be held on to because everything is really just uh, the way it's being taken, the particular change it's going through, the particular act of the mind that's receiving it, the particular way in which it's referred to. So you can look at uh, meditation, for example, people sitting in a hall, sitting around all day. What's the big deal about that? And yet when you're in there, it can feel like this is really important, we're doing some important work here, liberating, awakening. There's just a bunch of people sitting there doing nothing. Well, they do something useful. (laughs) Uh, And who's got it, who's right, you know? So are there any meditators? Or is it just people sitting around? Or what is it? And you begin to recognize it when you start to have your own ideas about you know, meditation and awakening. and It's so tinted by these sort of um, suggestions of the tones and nuances of hey, it'll be really good, you're really good, you know, you'll feel everything really good, you'll, all your problems will be over, it'll be fantastic, it'll be nice. You ever thought maybe you won't even like it? <laughs> Perhaps Nirvana's not very nice. <laughs> Remember that next time you get hungry for it. Perhaps it's not worth Perhaps it's just like sewage. So that instead of that, you know, bringing in a whole load of, of things you, that you want and got to have and got to be, and you just, that's emptying. And then you, then it's not a despair, but actually you're waking up, waking up in the present and letting go. And the feeling of letting go is clear, clarifying Settling, stabilizing. It doesn't mean you can't do anything, but you, you, you begin to feel the tone of that, and then you're starting to learn how to operate from that particular place, how to operate with clarity and empathy. Clarity which comes from detachment, empathy which comes from dispassion. And a sense also of, of equanimity, 
recognizing, well, whatever you do, it will be, some people like it, some people won't, you'll have some good, some bad, and it will change. So there's a feeling of, you know, non-attachment to results in what we do. Doesn't mean you don't do things. But, um, you begin to let go of some of those uh, perceptions and moods, ideas. Of course, all this thing that really uh, we ad- the identity experience happens around most is just the very movement of it all. You know, you can, we can recognize the thoughts change and then the sensations change and then the moods change. You have a good day and a bad day and then it, do this and do that. But somehow what seems to be continual is the, is the moving on from this to that, to that, to better, to worse, to up, to down, to hin, to out, to fine, to coarse, to happy, to sad. It's that moving along, the dynamic of it. And this is called sankara. It's a kind of forms and formative and forms. It forms um, everything. It's, a, it's the thing that moves our, us into a thought, handles a thought, moves us on to a feeling, moves us back into the body, tells us what the body is just locates particular sensations and pressures and says, oh, it's this. You know, it both, it moves and it also um, collects, it selects. So when you feel your body, you don't feel every cell in it, you just feel maybe a few pressures and some warmth and some tingling. So it's, oh, that's enough. So, you know, so Sankara is, is quite selective. And it moves all the time. And it's always basing itself on coming in contact with something, touching something. Mm. This is really where we, we feel we are and the core of it all, this, this ongoing stuff. The supreme letting go is, is the letting go of the is, is activity. Of doing and making and being. There's a particular kind of attention that the the Buddha mentioned as a sort of development in meditation, which is called. Uh, he called it a tamayata, which means something like non-identification or um, not holding it. And in the scriptures, this is described very simply in the Satipatthana Sutta as one is aware there is a body, or one is aware there is a mind, one is aware there is a feeling. So, you say, well, so what? But actually, it means that there's only that. It's just clear knowing that it's just this. So, 
normally when we're aware of body, we're aware of particular sensations and feelings and knees and you know bits of it and bright or dark or whatever. But it, it, it's a kind of coming out of of the the specific topic that the body's going through, and just the sense of like was like stepping back to embrace the whole gestalt of it. And it's rather like to compare it to um, a visual act, for example, we might, when our eyes focus on a particular small detail, like I might look at one person in this hall, you see, and then I look at that, and there's a certain holding to that, and then I might wonder what they're thinking or what's happening. So it's like that, you know. But if I was just to focus on seeing itself and open up to the complete possibilities of seeing, so everything would be quite a large, wide focus. Then, the, with that, then all the individual people fade, become just a blur. You don't really, you can't really pick on that. There's just the wholeness that you, you're aware of the wholeness. There's nothing, nothing to do. You know, there's no. It's just like in that particular uh, quality, seeing the seeing the whole of seeing then there's no particular object that one is seeing. But at the same time, you're not avoiding them either. You're seeing the wholeness. Um, And this is really what um, this particular shift of of attention is about. It's called, sometimes called bare awareness. Is that there's no detail. And the Buddha likened it to, in one of the suttas, to taking the hide of a bull and pegging it out and gradually stretching it till eventually all the creases and the grains and the folds were ironed out so you've got a completely blank sheet. So you let go of this, and yet you're still looking at the bull's hide, but eventually it's, there's no, you, you can't make anything of it. We might liken it to just looking at a, a blank wall the kind of opening of attention where there's no specific detail. But when you're doing this to your own body, bodily form, the thing that one most customarily senses is this is where I am, it's not like you're dissociating or spacing out or going vacant because you're very much there in your body. But at the same time, you're not in the operations of the dynamics. You're not moving around from this sensation to that sensation to this feeling to that movement you just with the whole of it and being in the whole of it you're also in none of it and you recognize that it's only the movement around in that particular bodily sphere that gives you the sense of being it you know it's it's the reacting and the fidgeting and the um, feelings of, of the, the movement of all that gives one the sense of being it because it's the movement that we most fully identify with it seems, that seems to be the lively bit and you can only really uh, practice like that probably for most people for just brief periods of time because what tends to come up is uh, the mind just starts to throw up all kinds of things that you know you can't was almost can't bear that quality of, of openness. It, it keeps, you can feel you just try and do it for a few minutes. Your attention wants to hold on to something. It wants to find something. 
It's like, you know, if you have your eyes wide open, your eyes will actually keep trying to focus on a particular object. So it does require quite a lot of um, spiritual strength and agility to keep checking those tendencies and just go back to being the body, being the mind, you know. So we might, with uh, opening up the whole mind, there's two aspects of mind, the thinking mind and the emotional mind, you might say. So we can go into all the thoughts that are going on and you can recognize, you know, how when you meditate, how aggravating it can be, this continual chattering and train of thoughts. So then one tries to kind of stop them but actually, in bare awareness, you open up to the complete thoughtfulness. <laughs> you know, rather than holding on to particular thought, it's just almost like completely allowing thought to happen. And if you do it very consciously, like now think of everything, for a moment your mind stops, because you can't think of what you want to think about. Because <laughs> there's nothing to think about. <laughs> So it is a way it's directing your attention beyond the specific topic into the the base of the faculty. Or we might say, who is thinking? Who is thinking? The mind stops. Or the wholeness wholeness of thoughtfulness, where there's no particular topic. So, you know, somebody says, well, now think anything you like. Uh, uh, And then when you relax, the thoughts start happening. But when you fully go to the, to the, to the, the thought base, the thought stops. It requires a very full kind of attention, full awareness, mindfulness and full awareness. And also the, the faculty of injury of samadhi, which is the concentration that just holds it there, holds it there, holds it there. When you focus on the emotive heart, it's rather like asking yourself, how are you? Well, um, you know, before you were almost feeling quite a lot of things, then you, you fully turn your attention to it. For a moment, at least, there's that stopping because, in a way, what happens is your attention has to flood the whole field of feeling, of emotive feeling, to select one. And in that flooding of the whole field, it can't, it hasn't got anyone. It's rather like if I say, say, well, now I can see everybody in the room. Who do you want to see? I'd have to... And then I've got to select one thing, otherwise I can't see anybody. Normally that selecting is done just by preference and bias. Yeah. Or some kind of drive or inclination. So with that practice, your, your intention is not to select either through approval or disapproval, you know, but just to 
You know, the aim is just to know what it is to feel. And when you do that, so the feeling sense just opens right up. And the moods stop or relax or shift. It's difficult to sustain it, of course, because you know, something you wants to find, wants to have a find a particular mood to be. I want to be happy, or it's not really wanting it, but there's some basic pull towards defining one's current state as being something. And yet, whatever one is currently as being something, we know for sure it will change. And if it changes, it's not what you are, is it? And yet that instinct always seeks to find what we are as being something that intrinsically we can't be. That's the whole illusion of the sankharas. They're formed or conditioned by unknowing. Unknowing or not knowing or forgetting that the basic kind of brilliance, if you like, of being, of being awake, is something that not only can't be grasped, but every grasping, every identification with trying to find it or be it, takes you away from it. So letting go is something to be developed. Normally we might be able to cultivate something like that in purity for a few seconds, maybe. And then something, the grasping picks up something or finds something. And then you, but you can keep practicing it. Like Recognize what you've got into some sense of holding on to the feeling of brightness. And then it starts to stiffen up again. Or a thought or a mood or a recollection comes up and we find ourselves gripped by that. Or, you know, it's, it's almost like when you when you open right up, it's, it's like stuff starts moving in. But if we don't hold on to the idea that you've got to be empty, but just allowing the process to continue, letting, that letting go becomes a dynamic of meditation. You can just, you know, be the mind or be the body and let the letting go happen, like trusting it, and keep attuning to the particular tone or the mood or that releasing sense. Uh, and it's uh, it's kind of clears things out. And mostly, it, you know, apart from the particular topics, it clears out, or it releases, or it relaxes one's hold on. It really helps to clear out this sense of having to be something. This means life is then mysterious, open, potent, present.
So it can recognize it. You know, now it's as it's as much as it ever will be. You know, there's all kinds of things I could do, should do, want to do, will do, won't do. You know, there'd be disappointments of where it could be, or I wish it was, things to worry about, regret, you know, things to feel nostalgia over, things to... But actually, it's always been like that. <laughs> you know, that, that's just, that's the that's the script. And, and when one doesn't kind of get involved with that in a compulsive way, you see that also it's always been clear, fundamentally clear. You know, it always is fundamentally clear. And it's a matter of, of kind of knowing and remembering that and attuning to that through... And without um, holding it as a, just an idea or something we should try to make happen, you know for yourself what what does letting go feel like? The quality, is it something you can trust? Is it not something you're being told to do or you should do? But can you trust that sense of freshness and clarity and humor and lightness? Mm. And then really have confidence in it. Mm. So everything else, samadhi, concentration, uh, is not weakened by that, and it doesn't doesn't decry the value of these things. But everything, all the skills are based upon letting go, and letting go is strengthened and uh, amplified by all the, all the, the skills we can develop in meditation. Anyone? Andamayam damagataya sadhu kara